Tom, and this is my wife, Mary Owen. And um, we've been attending here about a year and a half, mm -hmm. maybe coming up on two years now. And um, we've just been so welcomed here. Uh, it's uh, just a real sense of family, I guess, that we so appreciate. Mm -hmm. That is so true. The first moment we walked in, um, we were greeted so warmly and kindly from everybody, and they just were so kind to us. And having a church home is just really important to both of us. And um, Ridgewood has just been so great. You know, God has done amazing things in my life, but one of his sweetest blessings is bringing us to Ridgewood. And uh, we've just, we belong here. We know we do, and we just love everyone here, and they have just been so loving and kind to us. The real important event since I've been attending here is when I decided I wanted to be baptized. And it was just another example of God's, you know, marvelous timing because uh, I had been approached to go on a mission trip, which I had never done before. So I had a certain amount of anxiety, you know, about that. And then the uh, messages during service came out that, how about an Easter baptism? And I says, well, that's going to be just about right. And so I went ahead and did that, and that really was a, um, it meant a lot to me. Um, my sisters came and, mm -hmm. and attended this, the, uh, the ceremony, which uh, that was such a, you know, a pleasant surprise. And um, it was just something that, you know, I'd been baptized as an infant, but for some reason I was felt compelled to go through this baptism, you know, prior to this trip, and I'm so glad I did. As you look back on, on your life, you can see him as he's always been there. And I grew up in an alcoholic home. My parents were alcoholics. Um, there was no church except I went to Sunday school and uh, accepted Christ as a little girl. And um, through living in alcoholism is, is uh, really a difficult thing. But when my dad committed suicide was when the Lord just, oh, it was like the latent power of the Holy Spirit that just came alive. And I've been through divorce. Um, and then of course, just the, um, I've had a traumatic brain injury. And we took care of Tom's dad um, with many, many difficulties taking care of him with Alzheimer's. But God is there. He is there in the midst. And um, you look back and you go, oh, thank you, Lord, for that. I don't ever want to do it again, but thank you. You know, he's, um, and so I, he's so faithful and trustworthy. So now when difficult times come, I can just hang on to him and say, I know you're gonna see me through. You've done it in the past, you'll do it again. And um, I hope he continues to knock off the rough edges of me. The first thing I think of in the morning when I wake up, I am so grateful, you know, that I can lift my head and walk. But I, the first thing I do is I am crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the spirit, I live by the faith of God and that I am a servant. He is king, I am a servant. Everything I have has been his unbelievable gift to me and um, he has blessed me so abundantly that it, it just, I, I'm so happy if there is something to, to give. I'm, um, there are times I, I get a little fearful with balancing the checkbook and Tom will say, who do you trust, Mary? Who do you trust? And it's such a great reminder, not let the enemy in. Who do I trust? Well, he is the one who gives us all things. I, you know, and, um, and Tom is very generous that way. He's uh, very, very generous. And he, is, he has taught me um, not to hold things tightly. And um, that has been a real gift 
um, for me. I guess one of the things that I said to the uh, Manit Bible Study Fellowship, you know, I said, what you um, get from God is what you give, you know, to God. And uh, a Navigators Conference, that, that's really when I decided to let the Lord, you know, pilot my ship. And one of the men um, at, at just the lunch table, and he had such a great analogy, mm -hmm. says, you need to hold your possessions like this and then you can give to others and then God can put something in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's always been one of the great things that I try to remember and live by, to just to hold your possessions, not in your fist, but to hold them in the palm of your hand. And then you can give that to somebody else to use. And then the, your hand is open and God can place more blessings in there. And um, in the years that we've been together, you know, as a married couple, that's that's just been our life. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm Mary. And we're illuminating the light of Christ together. Yeah, thank you, Tom and Mary. Uh, what a beautiful couple and what a beautiful uh, testimony. Uh, I just want to draw attention before we dive into the Word this morning to this book that we were given. Maybe you brought it back from last time. This is just explains the Illuminate Project, and you'll see a commitment card here and all of the explanation. Don't read it right now, though. What I'd like you to do right now is just flip over to page 20, which is week number two of the series, and there's sermon notes on the back, okay? But let's pray first, and then we'll dive in. God, thank you for the opportunity just to explore what you have for us this morning. Thank you for that beautiful testimony. Thank you, God, that you do give back to those who are walking with you. Sometimes we don't always see it. Sometimes we wait till eternity. Sometimes we wait for you, but you're always faithful. So, God, help us as we explore Abraham's life today to just acknowledge that you operate in places that we can't imagine that you are in the land of the impossible. Abram had to make really hard, real-life decisions. And even within his flaws, even within his sin, he found a way to follow you. Lord, help us to be those kind of people and help us, Lord, to learn more of you this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's true that many times our lives are shrouded by the impossible. We think to ourselves, I have a marriage that I'm not really happy with, but it's probably never going to change, so I'm just going to ride it out. Or we think, there's no way, it's impossible that my child will ever come back to Christ, even though we raised him or her in the church. We think, I'll never be whole financially. I'll never get in the black. Seems like impossible to me. Or we've been praying for healing and God isn't moving and so we just say, well, maybe I should stop praying because it doesn't seem to be doing any good. And for some of us, it's just normal everyday things like, you know, I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel I'm accepted. I don't feel loved. And no matter how much I pray or ask or seek out relationships, I just don't seem to fit in. And after a while, we develop this 
belief system, this worldview that life is what we can see. Life is what we make it to be. And we forget about the fact that God is operating on a completely different level, in a completely different sphere. And as we at Ridgewood are entering this Illuminate season and we're talking about taking this tool we have in our building and updating it and getting it ready for ministry for the next years, it's easy to look at that number and say, impossible. You're crazy. But that's from a human perspective. God doesn't operate in human terms. God operates on God terms. And so today we're going to look at Abraham. Here's a guy who faced an incredible dilemma. God was saying to him, I'm going to give you a child. And we say, well, good, that's great, you know. Get a crib and paint the walls and be good to go. Problem is, Abraham was pushing 100. And his wife was pushing 100. But yet God is giving him this promise of the impossible. It's so crazy that in Genesis 18, when God introduces the topic, Sarah simply laughs. But you see, it wasn't impossible. It just seemed impossible. Those are two different things. What seems impossible in God's eyes is never impossible. And we see God do this in Genesis 21. We see God enter the picture. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did so, did to Sarah as he had promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. You see, it wasn't impossible after all. For humans, it was crazy. And so this morning as we look at this text, I want us to ask this question. Can we look past circumstances to the power of God? Can we look past what we humanly think can happen from our sphere and allow God to do His thing? It's easy to get into that mindset. It's always going to be this way. We can't do that, but let's not allow ourselves to fall into that belief system because here's what God will do. God will take cynicism and He'll turn it into hope. He'll take fear and He'll turn it into to courage. And I believe when it comes to Ridwood Church and all the prayers that are happening right now, I believe that God is about to do something impossible. And I'm excited about that. And so let's explore the life of Abraham. Please open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis 15, beginning in verse 1. Genesis 15, 1, page number 10, if you want to grab that pew that's in the seat back in front of you, or that Bible, rather, that's in the seat back in front of you. And if you're watching on live stream, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Again, this is page 20 in your sermon notes in our Illuminate book as well. So after all that, it's again Genesis 15, verse 1. So you remember, last week we talked about Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And God is calling Abraham to a place, as Chad mentioned earlier, that he didn't know but he was obeying God. All God would tell him is, I'm taking you to the land that I will show you. He's calling him away from everything he knows, his identity, his family, everything. But Abraham follows 
he couldn't see the outcome. But what was really happening in the sphere of the impossible is that God was introducing the Abrahamic covenant, which would lead to Israel, which would lead to Messiah, Jesus Christ, coming into the world. Abraham could have never known all that, but God did. And so here's the text. And again, in this text, he's still known as Abram. I'll refer to him much today as Abraham because it's more familiar, but he's Abram here. He will soon get a name change because of God's promise to him. But let's begin in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And verse 6 is amazing. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham was following God into the unknown. Abraham was making faith decisions. And if you look at this text, it comes right off a difficult episode in Abraham's life. The words here, after these things links back to chapter 14. He'd just been in this battle. He'd had to go rescue Lot. We love Lot, don't we? Always causing trouble. He rescued Lot, and then he refused, refused to, to divide the spoils of war with the evil king of Sodom. And so God has brought him through this, and now he's about to make him a promise. And the first thing we learn in this text is that God is Abraham's protector. As he walks through this process, God was going to be with Abraham as his shield. And we see this in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And this Abrahamic covenant that God is establishing with Abraham here, this has to seem crazy. It has to seem totally out of the box. If you're nearly 100 years old and you don't have a child, you're probably past that stage, I would hope. You're probably on great-great-great-grandchildren or something. I'm not sure. But he had moved past this. But here's God revisiting him, saying, I'm calling you again to faith. You did the first one. You went. Now I'm calling you to believe I'm going to give you a son. And he does it personally. You see the wording here. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. That was likely God himself or the pre-incarnate Christ. He visits his servant because he was his protector. 
And it's possible that Abraham was still concerned about that battle, that maybe someone would come and take revenge on him. But God is our protector. Listen, when you're out there in the war, and it is a war out there. I remember before I became a pastor, when I was doing radio, and you're doing radio and television, you're working with people that aren't exactly on the moral high ground all the time. And I remember that war that went on. I remember getting out of bed in the morning and just praying for strength and praying for energy, praying that I didn't screw it up, which I most notably did a lot, but God always recovered that. Sometimes you just have to remember that God is always with you. And God is promising Abraham that I am with you. And we look at texts like Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? We have to remember that. And we look at Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. So you're never alone, even though you think you're alone. It seems like you're alone. In your sphere, it seems like there's no one to help you, but God is your protector. He is your shield. He is Abraham's shield. And I think he protects us as individuals. I think he protects us as a church as we move through transition and we march into this land of the impossible. I think God walks with us. And so Abraham needed encouragement. There were enemies all around him. He needed the God of the impossible because he had a longing too that wasn't met. And now God was promising to meet this longing, but he's saying, at this age? Like, it didn't exactly come on time, God, he may have been thinking. But here's the longing, and it's crazy talk. Abraham longed for a child. He's in his mid-90s. But he longed for a child. Verses 2 and 3 establish this fact. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. See, Abraham had one hope. He had the hope of chapter 12. He had the hope of the promise that God had given him. He had the hope that God said, I will make of you a great nation. Your descendants will become a blessing, meaning Jesus would come for you, but he, he probably wasn't that far along, but he understood there was something happening here. And so he, he was sure at this point in his life, though, that Eliezer of Damascus would be his heir. In that culture, if you didn't have a son, then everything you owned went to the household manager. And so he's pretty sure that this is how it's going to work out. And even after God gives him this promise, you know what Abraham does. He tries to circumvent the will of God, and so it's very hard to walk in faith. But here God is calling him to faith, and he's saying to him, no, this is not how it's going to play out. So what's happening in this text and I believe what's happening in my life so often, because God is always drawing me closer to him, and what's happening in the life of our church is this. Abraham's longing, really, his descendant, it seems like an impossible dream, really. If you and I were having coffee with Abraham, and he said, guys, you know, I mean, we, you know, let's say we're his age. First thing we'd do is look at each other and say, how are we still alive? But Abraham would say to us, man, guys, Will you pray for a son? 
And we'd be saying, man, you're drinking senior coffee at McDonald's. Like, what are you talking about? It seemed impossible. It was totally strange. But look at verses 4 and 5. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are even able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Notice here, God didn't even use Eliezer's name. This man shall not be your heir. This was an impossible project, and God is all about the impossible. Your very own son shall be your heir. Biology hasn't changed. Women didn't give birth in the mid-90s, plus the fact that she was barren. God is saying, no, don't rely on what you can see. I'm working in the land of the impossible. I don't know if you've ever been outside on a night when you're not, when the sky is not obscured by the city lights. And God takes Abraham out into a night like that, out of his tent, showing that this isn't some dream. It's a real vision. He's, God is visiting him. And he takes him outside and he looks at that canvas that God has written. And he says, this is what it's going to be like. You can't even number those stars. I don't care that you're 95 years old. I don't care that your wife is barren. None of that matters to me because I can do whatever I want to do. And so I'm going to paint this canvas in your life and in future generations. And the beautiful thing about all of this is that Messiah Jesus Christ would come out of this promise. Because God is working in ways that Abraham couldn't have possibly understood. But you see, God's graciousness and patience in this whole thing is, I'm going to take you out, I'm going to show you. I'm trying to help you understand. God knows that we have a hard time with this. So God was making an impossible promise, guiding him through. He's in his 90s, but his offspring would come. And here's, here's what I want to try to nail down today for you. To the unbelieving heart, this is impossible. But, but God shatters the impossible. God shatters the impossible. All through the Bible, God is shattering the impossible. He, he's winning wars for Israel when they were far out number. He, he's defeating evil prophets by Isaiah. When he pours the water on the wood, it's so soaking what nothing could burn, and a fire comes down from heaven. He had the earth gain a little extra of a day by slowing the rotation so that Joshua could win a battle. And remember, Jesus calmed storms. Jesus healed when he wasn't even near the person. Jesus raised from the dead, and then Jesus himself was raised from the dead. God is a God of the impossible. He shatters it. It's his dominion. I believe it glorifies him, and so he wants to operate in the impossible. And so in our own lives, when we think it's, there's no way, that's when God says, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is all good. Because now you're going to finally watch me work. So God is doing that here in Abraham's life. The promise of Israel, the promise of Messiah, nothing is impossible with God, said the angel who visited Mary. Nothing is impossible with God. And here in this story, I believe that we can easily apply this to Ridgewood Church, to our own lives, because 
When we target areas that we think that we can't achieve, that's exactly when God says, yep, if it's my will, watch out. Get out of the way, because I'm moving. You see, here's the thing about Abraham that we need to understand. He re- he's going to receive a reward for this. Abraham is not afraid to step out, and he believed God, and he received a reward. Look again at verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. People in the Old Testament were saved exactly as we are saved, through faith. And so what he's saying here is, in this process, Abraham comes to believe God's promises, and he saves him, he justifies him, he makes him right, reconciles him to himself, and Abraham becomes a eternal child of God. It's through belief. My question for you this morning is, do you believe? Now here in the church age, we find salvation through a, a faith walk with Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus can save you? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you believe that he's paid the penalty? The Bible says that Jesus not only died for your sin, but became sin in your place. So this faith walk is an eternal walk. So I ask you this morning, are you willing to put your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you willing to believe that impossibility, that he can reach down and he can forgive you for every sin, he can transform your life, and he can give you eternal life? That takes faith. But once that faith is exercised, as it is here for Abraham, then we see amazing things happen. The rewards happen. Descendants come. Israel is born. Messiah comes. And so as we look at Ridgewood Church in the future, we've got plans, we've got dreams. I remember the first town hall that we had, and I just wanted to, I didn't know you, and I wanted to explore what's going on here at this church, and and I asked, what's important to you? And one of the main themes that kept coming up was, we want to matter. We want our church to be known in our community. We want to intertwine ourselves with our community. And that's how we came up with that mission statement, making Jesus known through community impact. And so now we're kind of on the methodology. How are we actually going to make Jesus known? And when we talk about the building, this isn't the end all. It's just a tool to use as a springboard to do the mission. And we talk a lot about the mission, I know. Maybe you get tired of that, and, but the mission is to make more lanterns, to get people saved, to help people have lives that are transformed. And that's why we're talking about community groups. We've started like 20 community groups this year, and they're not to disconnect you from the church, they're connect you into the church. Wendy and I just had our first community group meeting this week, and it was, it was fantastic. We're already meeting new people and new friends. But we, but we all made a decision. We're going to leave a chair open for non-believers to come so we can minister to them. That's what community groups are all about. We're, we're, when we talk about planting, people, people tell me often, I'm really concerned about this planting thing because we're not in a place right now where you can empty the church out. I go, no, no, that's not, that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is go into rural communities in Minnesota that are dying, literally dying and maybe don't have an evangelical church within driving distance. And, and if you knew the state of rural churches, man, all of the stuff that besieges a city is, is times six or seven in a rural community. 
we want to go in and save these communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to partner with other churches. We, we want to develop leaders. You know, there's no better gift we can leave future generations than good leaders. So we want to develop a pipeline and a residency program and internships. But all of this takes God to do the impossible. And we want to create health within our church. We, we want to be connected in our church. But in order to do that, we have to look past what is or what always has been. And we have to look to the future. God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? Do we believe that God is operating in the impossible? So the question then becomes, what will we do with all of this? What, how are we going to react to this Abraham story? Because it would be easy to look at this and say, that's a nice story. You know, we teach our kids stories, and they go, that's a nice story. Let's go to bed. No, this isn't just this is historical records that help us understand the power of God. And so, am I going to be willing to enter into this Illuminate project? So first, here's the steps that I would like you to do. First, pray like crazy. Pray, pray, and pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for the power of God. I was walking around this morning, and I'm sorry that you had to scrape ice off your windshield. I didn't have that experience this morning, but it, it was dark, and I was walking through the pews, and I was praying, and I'm going like, Lord... Will you please just exercise your power on this place? If we don't pray, we might as well pack up the tent right now. And we can come on Wednesdays if you want and pray with others. And then, Chad already mentioned Advanced Commitment Night, a night when leaders can just step out and lead and say, I'm in on this thing, man. Like, I trust God. I want this church to thrive. I, I know we need to update this building. And... We want you to RSVP because we want to know who's coming. It gives weight to the commitment, and we want to know how much pie to order. You see, we're smart. We put pie in there, knowing that that's our best-selling point, pie. In fact, we should just have a big pie on the screen right here, and child care is available. This is really an important night. And then at the end of this series on November 11th, which is coming up quicker than it seems, it'll be Commitment Sunday. We're going to have a time of teaching of prayer, of worship, and then we're all going to come forward and confidentially give our gifts, give our pledges, and then we're going to see where we are. And I have a feeling we're going to be doing like cartwheels because God is already moving and he's operating. And so you might be thinking to yourself that this is, that your leadership has gone insane. And maybe we have. But I think more as I've listened to the board talk and I've listened to leaders talk, there's no insanity about it. These are wise, thinking, logical people that believe in the power of God. And so I'm praying that God will provide. I'm also praying along with Wendy. God, what do you want us to give? And so I hope you enter that process. See, here's the thing. We get into mindsets where we think this is how it's always going to be. Abraham had to face that problem. He chose to believe the God of the impossible. Do you believe that God is about to do the impossible here? Will you just take a moment and just silently pray and ask him, how do you want me to be involved with this God? Can you really do this God? And then just pray that he would open your heart and mind, and then I'll close in prayer.
God, the plan that you used to bring Jesus into the world was based on faith. Everything about this whole salvation thing is based on faith. You used a man, Abraham, to start the process, and then you used faith of others throughout history, and you've, you've kept the line going, and Jesus, you've come into the world now, and we trust you for our salvation. But now we ask that you would help us to trust you in practical matters such as finances and church life and in our own lives with all of these areas that maybe we've even given up on or we think, I'm tired of praying for this. I can't pray another minute for this. God, why aren't you answering? Where are you? Maybe, maybe God, you can speak to some of those this morning that are in the desert. Speak hope, encouragement. Help them to see through Abraham that you are working even if we can't see the results. And God, will you do a miracle here, please? Not only regarding the building, but in our lives. As we search out your desire for us, and we look forward to glorifying your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.